0: Today's interview and interview subjects will inspire you to be more creative about how you're creative, and I am 100% certain of that. In this episode of the No Film School podcast, I speak with Frank Oz, who on his own is a legendary figure, and Derek Delgadio, who wrote and created and performed in and of itself, which Frank directs. Having the two of them on the show uh, is amazing. They have so much insight into the creative process. I intentionally avoid diving too deep into what happens in the course of In and of Itself because that would rob so many of you of the experience of seeing it. So you can listen to this interview and really go into that still without having a sense of what you're going to see, what you're going to experience. And I, and we wanted to do that on purpose because you should, if you haven't, go see In and of itself after this, before this, it doesn't really matter. But I didn't want this interview to alter anyone's experience of that. Speaking to Frank Oz about his experience as a storyteller, a filmmaker, a creator is fascinating. He is one of the most influential creative voices of the last half century, the impact of things like The Muppets, Sesame Street, to say nothing of Yoda, the many films he directed, the works he did with Jim Henson, the kinds of movies he's made, which continually, as he says, break things. His version of storytelling anarchy, creative anarchy, it's inspiring, funny, hopeful. It's the reason to do this stuff. And then to add in Derek, who is such a singular talent, I don't know how to describe what he does or how he does it. You have to see it to believe it. His creation of in and of itself is singular, unique, and unbelievable, moving. His talent is immense. And the spirit with which they both approach this all is worth Mimicking, learning about, understanding, all those things. I hope in this interview, uh, we give you a little insight, in, as, as much insight as we could, and I get out of the way as much as I could to let these two genius talents, and I really mean that, uh, connect with you about their work and how they approach it. It would be reductive to refer to what Derek does as magic, although that word seems so appropriate when talking about Derek and Frank because be, be it Yoda or Cookie Monster or in and out the movie or any of the other great movies that um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which we talk about a lot in this interview that Frank's directed or in and of itself and all the things Derek does in it. I don't know what else to say about it. Besides for that, it is magic. Yes, first, I just want to, for all of our listeners, can you take us through each of you at a time, the nature of the collaboration and, and where it began, what, what the genesis of it was about this project?
1: Boy, Derek, do you want to take it? or?
2: Uh, sure. Um, nope. Go ahead, Frank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <no.
2: laughs> I, I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- w- uh, Frank and I met through kind of a mutual friend when I was doing a show in New York. Uh, a mutual friend of ours suggested that Frank come see a show that I was doing, and Frank did. And after the show, he didn't want to say hi to me, but his wife made him. And so uh, we <laughs> we we struck up a we struck up a, a conversation, and then we had drinks, and then we had some more you know more dinners together, and uh, and then we struck up a friendship. And uh, and I lived in L.A. at the time; he lived in New York. And, uh, anytime he'd come out to visit his family or work or something like that and you, in LA, we'd, we'd sit down and hang out and, uh, it continued like that for a couple of years. And, uh, when this idea for the show came around, um, I, I knew I needed someone to help with it, but the only person I could think of was Frank. I asked him and he didn't agree to it right away, but I flew out to, to New York and kind of pitched a, a loose skeleton of an idea of what I thought this show could be about, and and after uh, you know after pitching it, he he thought he had something to contribute, so we just started down the path together, and and that was uh, that was six years ago now. So
1: wow, was it really?
2: Yeah,
1: holy cow! Wow, yeah, yeah, Start, and
0: yeah.
1: and we just continued uh, really with that skeleton, which is all the stuff that uh, all the ideas that they're all Derek's, um, and we and I was just helping to kind of what, Derek, kind of shape it and give it a shape for theater and, and also trying to keep you honest, right?
2: Yeah, and to bring it, bring it to life. I mean, I had fragmented ideas that could be pieced together and stitched together to make a breathing you know, thing that felt alive, but it, it certainly wasn't when I approached Frank with it. And he, he saw that it might be possible if I was willing to put in the work, and I, I, and I, and I was.
1: Yeah, he sure was.
0: I'm, I'm curious, so what was the first, you mentioned the first sort of instance was, Frank, you were attending a show that Derek was doing and then afterwards you, what, what was that project? What was the show?
2: It was similar in the sense that it was a, sle- a sleight of hand show, and, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything like this.
0: Yeah, it was, only,
1: it was no similarity other than once in this show is uh, sleight of hand, but, um, but he was wonderful. What impressed me most about him was how non-performative he was. He hmm. wasn't trying to sell anything. He was just talking, and that was that was a huge huge thing for me. And then my wife said, "You want to meet him?" And I said, nah, "I don't, you know, I get, <laughs> I, I get shy." And so then she forced me to, and then we got friendly. That's very cool.
0: So I yeah, I now I want to go a little bit back, if that's okay. And Derek, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. If you can give me a little bit of your, you know, the story of how you became in the arts in performance and then in sleight of hand, like how all of this sort of evolved and maybe what the inspiration points were. I know you had something that you had some time with the Walt Disney Imagineering, there's some work on things like the Prestige, but I kind of want to, if you can help us piece it together, but also tell us where it began for you as an artist.
2: It's scattered, certainly. Um, (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. uh, I've all, you know, I grew up, I had a untraditional background in terms of, you know, born to a teenage mother, uh, didn't have a dad around and stuff. So we, you know, we struggled together as a team, kind of growing up together, my mother and I and uh I, you know got into storytelling was really interested in in film and uh, um interest interesting types of things to choose when you're like ten years old I was like really interested in Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and uh, yeah. I listened to a lot of comedy albums and things like that
0: which ones were the were the formative ones
2: I love Bill Hicks I was a really I was really <laughs> big into Bill hicks uh starting when i was like 12 years old <laughs> but I, I liked you know uh, carlin L- lenny bruce chris rock had just made bigger and black or something like that which i thought was amazing yeah. uh and so yeah just was was storytellers you know uh, steve martin was a massive fan of, of steve martin's uh i loved everything he did um and uh, uh dirty rotten scoundrels was top three movies you know for me at that time I think it was the first DVD I ever bought was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels
0: Hmm. oh cool so there's a there's a connection here then yeah Well, (laughs) we'll get to that later yeah
2: um so I was interested in performing things and teachers were always telling my mother they should get me into performing arts school we couldn't afford to do that um and so that always just sounded nice when people said it and um she was going through a, a rough separation from her partner, and uh, we. she played a practical joke on me, uh, and uh, it was where a, a can exploded, uh, like you put a firecracker under a, a Coke can, basically, and it explodes when you lift it up. And she did this, basically, like, you know, lighten the mood in the house because it was pretty tense, and I, I thought it was hilarious and wanted to know where she got it, and she told me that there was a joke shop by her her work, and so we eventually went and uh, she had a coffee while I went in and explored. And it turns out it wasn't a joke shop; it was a magic shop, or at least that's what they they claim they were. And I saw the guy made a a little pocket knife vanish, and it was just amazing to me. And so I bought a book on sleight of hand that day. I was twelve years old, and I just kind of became obsessed with the idea of of you know being able to reveal and conceal things at will to make things vanish and reappear and transform. And and I never performed it for anyone, which is kind of the curious thing about my relationship with side of hand is I was never, I was never interested in doing it for anyone. It was like, my mother was like, is like pulling teeth. She's like, uh, she was a firefighter she said oh, wow. she would like i would visit her at the firehouse and she would tell me to do something for her co-workers and i would refuse i would refuse i'd be like no that's all right <laughs> and she'd be like we save people's lives for a living the least you could do is a card trick um <laughs> and so she'd guilt me into doing something for him but yeah so i just i had this this on the one hand i had an interest in uh performing and in humor and writing and on the other hand i had this skill set of sleight of hand that was separate from the performance aspect of it and it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I started trying to perf- to merge the two and I didn't find any joy in it really I didn't didn't like performing those two things together I didn't like demonstrating sleight of hand or performing illusions it didn't it wasn't really interesting to me and so I stopped that and I, I got into uh, I became interested in uh, performance art and conceptual art and I studied that for 5 years or so and then uh, informally with an artist named Glenn Kaino and then started started kind of integrating all of these things that I picked up over the years into one practice that I could call my own and that's sort of that's sort of where Frank comes into the picture I guess.
0: Yeah, I you know you mentioned this this through line that connects to what Frank said initially when he first saw you and I want to hear Frank elaborate on it that this, there's this unwillingness or disinterest to perform these things, which is fascinating. Like it's almost like in and of itself, a sleight of hand kind of, right? Well, in and of itself, there you sure. go. But like, there's, <laughs> there's something sort of like, isn't that, I mean, what is, how does that manifest? And, and can you tell me more about how you were drawn to that, Frank, that particular yeah, it was
1: Yeah, it was not that uh, he didn't want to perform. That wasn't, you know, most people on stage will, attempt to get the audience's reaction and perform in such a way that they do. Derek does not. If you want to hear Derek, you just got to listen. You got to lean in. Uh, and we wanted the... Derek and I both wanted the audience to understand that uh, Derek would do the show by himself if it was for them. So he wasn't trying to sell in any way. He <laughs> was just telling his story. And, that was huge because there was no real emphasis on words, on uh, and emotions. He was just flat out talking, and that's rare. Uh, so that was that was really what impressed me.
0: And of course, like going back to some of your, you are a you know cinema legend. Uh, you're a legend in, in many ways, but the idea of performing, creating an illusion, sort of ties into some of your origins, I would imagine, in puppeteering and things like that. Can you, is that why this is something you're drawn to personally?
1: No, I I couldn't care less about magic.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The the connection isn't there, it's just me connecting dots that don't Yeah, as
1: I told Derek, I mean, I I do not want to direct a magic show and thank God Derek didn't either. I, I see no joy in having a trick, blackout, applause, trick, blackout, applause. Uh, fortunately, Derek and I are the same mind that we, we we're both I don't think necessarily rebellious or anarchic but we're certainly in that direction that we're trying to as you say break things so it was it was very fortuitous that he asked me to because even before that I didn't know really he he wanted to go in that direction and I love that direction
2: I mean Frank Frank is Frank is obviously very humble but I think part of it is I think he he would never say that he, what he's done with his own, you know, former craft of puppeteering or crap. I don't know if he's still considered but the the craft of puppeteering in that it's transcendent. Like Frank doesn't, doesn't do puppets. He brings things to life
0: and, and it's not,
2: it's so far beyond puppeteering that it's, it's in its own league. It's transcendent. And I
1: I think Derek and I are very similar in that we both know, that behind what he does and behind what I do is years and years of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and years and years of training. And we have a problem with people calling Derek a magician when it's really a skill. Uh, and we have a problem with calling me a, a puppeteer because it's it's always associated with, you know, puppets are cute and different children. And uh, magicians just, uh, you know, pull doves out of their their, their coats that kind of perception when really, uh, as Derek says, we're both looking for transcendency, you know, in our work.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's funny because even as I, I mean, I referred to what you have done as puppeteering and I thought, God, it feels like that is not the right word just because it's like, it's bigger than that. Like it feels like it's like, and I didn't know what to call it, but I think I want to know more about this idea of, of the years of work because obviously pulling off, uh, breathing life into the characters, the creations you have, Frank, but also these kinds of sleight-of-hand illusions. The thing that fascinates me about the I would do it if I was alone and there was no audience is that that is so much training and practice. Is, is that the joy in on, on its own?
1: Well, I'll answer that for my part as a director. For me, the joy is that, yes, because... He doesn't need an audience. The character in that movie and on stage is working on something and struggling something inside that you're not aware of. You're not aware of the real story underneath that, but you can sense the struggle. And so he ha- would have to struggle to figure this thing out, whether there was an audience there or not.
0: That kind of also goes back to what you said about that you have to lean in.
1: Yeah. And the biggest joy, I've, as I and Derek, I've said, heard this before, but I I would see the show for about a year and a half now every week for sure. And the biggest joy I had, I always sat in the back. Not one person coughed. They didn't move. It, it's one of those things you pray for. It's it was mm. extraordinary.
0: I've known people who saw it live and they rave about it the experience.
1: And one of the reasons, again, the major reason is that Derek is not acting. Derek is, is, it's exhausting what Derek did. He waited and wouldn't say anything until he felt like saying something. And I told him, you can stand there for 30 seconds or a minute. I don't care, but don't talk until you feel like talking. And I think the audience can sense that honesty.
0: So it's truly a unique craft that you sort of put together with this it's not it doesn't really fall neatly into a category right is that part of the 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 design the intent or or can you guys tell me a little bit about that well we
2: felt like if if you were able to describe it we've failed in the sense that (laughs) i mean yeah if we're we're talking about we're talking about magical creatures that exist in this world that defy definitions then if we did if we didn't do that we've we failed, you know, and we've, we've just made another theater show or another show or a one man show or a magic show or whatever, whatever anyone wanted to call it or me or what they had seen. If they were able to easily label it, we felt like we didn't do our job because it, it is a show about defying
0: labels, you know?
1: Yeah. Which is why it's called in and of itself. One cannot define it.
0: Ah, yeah. I like that. Um, Frank, you mentioned like, this desire to break things. Um, this feels like certainly it's a departure from normal formats or expressions or storytelling. And so it of falls right in line in that. Is that something that you did, you've done at other points or that's been a through line for you personally, or is it something you, you constantly seek out or you're just seeking out now?
1: I will. It, it really was serendipitous. You know, all my life, all my professional life, I've done huge movies, you know, 40, 50, 80, hundred million dollar movies. And, I didn't try to get them. I just didn't screw up and they kept on asking me, you know? <laughs> and so every time they asked me, I said, yeah, because this particular script I loved or the people I was working with. But underneath it, my heart was more rebellious than that. And by meeting Derek, and that that's the rebelliousness and the, and the kind of affectionate, what I call anarchy of the Muppets, when the four of us were starting in 1963. Just a ragtag group. And that was what I loved. And all of a sudden I got successful. But when I get uh, work with Derek, I can go back to that feeling, you know?
0: uh, Yeah, that is so cool. Just as a fan of all these things, that is just so cool to hear. Now that you say that, I'm looking back at the history, even of the Muppets, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe they were constantly trying to break something. Like it seems like the format kept jumping, or the the limits kept getting pushed. Is that correct?
1: Jim always did that, you know. I mean, that's the trouble. People wanted Bert and Ernie all the time, and he wanted to try Dark Crystal and other things.
0: Right. Yeah, and that. So, so at a certain point, you know, you launched from there into doing these you know, bigger movies and bigger movies and just saying yes, because they were exciting for some reason. But so this is a return in some way for you to something that feels closer to just the four guys being anarchists
1: (laughs) and and to my heart.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Especially now, you know, things are so um, we're so inundated with the familiar with the nostalgic like the things we've seen before the way we've seen them before and it seems like there's this constant craze to get that um we're starving for somebody to break things and be an anarchist in this medium in these mediums um tell me about doing that on stage versus doing that in the movie for both of you I want to hear, I'm really curious to know, like, because, you know, no film school where, you know, film is the thing. If this was just on stage, we probably would unfortunately not be having the conversation. But I want to know how you did it in the stage and then, and then how it all moved over. Well. Or how it changed or didn't.
2: Well, they're the same process, but different mediums in that we knew what we wanted to achieve, but we didn't, we, we, we reminded ourselves that we didn't know how to do it. In a, in, a, in a positive way. Uh, one of the things that Frank is really good at is not knowing things, which <laughs> which sounds like it, it's true, though. He's very, very good at seeing things for the first time, which is actually a skill set to be able to wash away yeah. all that preconceived notions. All those preconceived notions or all the what you think you know about a thing. With the show, we were very much staring into an abyss at all times because... I was refusing to let it be anything that resembled anything else. Oh, to, to, a frust- to a frustrating point, like telling, like, you know, uh, Frank and I, we never really argued ever, but we, we had deep conversations about things that were frustrating because like, I would say I don't, uh, like the language of, I, I would say I don't want to act. And Frank would be like, I don't want you to act. If I catch you acting, I'll kill you. And, and like creating a language between us of, of understanding what the other person means when they say a specific word and like kind of using like we settle on words to kind of define a thing because
0: can you tell me some of them well, some of the words that like i mean also i have to say if i catch you acting i'll kill you is like the best sure. director's note to an actor i've ever heard so we'll have to it's effective that one it's effective <laughs> um no well just like in that particular
2: example i was i because there's so much artifice related to what I at least the perception of what I was doing because people had known me for uh, for doing magic and sleight of hand and these things. They, a lot of people knew me as a magician. I I I knew that everything needs to be honest, almost to a fault. Like everything else needs to be so honest to make up for any sort of perception of deception that might be happening in the spectator's mind, which actually made it really difficult for Frank to do his job sometimes because we wanted to make it something that they could go on a journey with us. But like, I knew that I'd done these lines before that I said them the night before that I was going to repeat them over and over again. And so it's very challenging to create any sort of, um, Spontaneity, anything that doesn't sound like a, a directive of, of use your acting, you know, without saying, because he doesn't want, he did never did say that. But in my brain, because we hadn't worked together before, no one. I don't. I mean, we're in un, unknown, unknown territory. So, to kind of be able to create a, a a dialogue between us that I'm able to explore a thing over and over again without feeling like I've been there before was part of the process. Does that make sense? Because I I knew I was going to do the show over and over again.
0: I have a couple follow ups, and I don't okay. know if they all have answers. One is for Frank. I'm curious if you can. Put it into words or explain it. How do you come out of things with fresh eyes the way that Derek describes? Is it an, a, something you have an awareness of? Is it something you have to maintain?
1: I'm very aware. As a matter of fact, I, did, I was in the was a comedy festival up up north, and uh, they wanted me to do a, a speech on comedy. And I don't believe you can. And my, my speech was about the fact that I don't know comedy. And I, and I mean that. I mean that because if one knows, one can't discover So in regards to this show, I put myself in the position of absolutely not knowing a thing and knowing that I'm on a cliff and I could fall or I could stand up and live. I am. I'm just going to take I'm just going to react to everything I see without my head. I'm just going to react. And that's what happened.
2: Yeah. And let me just say, as as the performer, as the as the person who is looking to his director and he's the one who's just like unhooked his safety harness it's a little disconcerting in the in the creative process
0: <laughs> i was gonna
2: say i can imagine because i'm i feel like i'm staring into an abyss and i have to go out there and do this thing on the high wire or whatever and he's basically going like yep that's you're going to do it. You're or you're not going to do it because he's not one to comfort me in that regard, because you can't be comforted, especially not with something like this. You have to know that what you're doing is scary. And that means we're at least doing something.
1: Yeah. And I and I the biggest question I had was in the moment I met him and I had to answer that before I said yes, was will he go the distance? Mm. And I thought he would. And he did. And that that's a lot. Derek. Put so much into this because he wasn't remembering lines. Every performance was was more visceral, and 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 he had to trust that the rest of the words would come. So it, it was a it was a huge thing for anybody to do. As a matter of fact, there were some very well known actors. Uh, remember Derek who, and friends of mine. Yep, who came and said I learned something from Derek. You know. Your career in virtual production starts here and now. Earn your spot on tomorrow's set with Synapse Virtual Production in LA by enrolling in RIT's immersive 10-day course this June. An exclusive experience in LA, you'll get the foundation you need to grow your career in a virtual production studio, the kind behind the groundbreaking effects seen in Disney's The Mandalorian and Marvel's Avenger films. Limited seats are available. Learn more and enroll today at VPRIT certified.education. That's VPRIT certified.education.
0: The thing I keep thinking that I'm thinking now is this feeling as a director or as a creator that you approached with this project of, I'm going to stand on the edge of the cliff. I don't know if I'll fall or if I'll be standing. Did you do that when you showed up like day one of shooting on, on these ma- some of these massive movies you've done? No. or No. Okay. So this is a different this – was, this was, <laughs> I was going to say, is that like how you go through
1: life? <laughs> but, 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 also, but also, yes. Uh, you know, if it's a $50 million or $80 million movie, I am totally and completely prepared. Totally. Because pe- people ask you dozens of questions every day. I have to be completely and totally prepared. And I am prepared in order to forget the preparation and just experience it.
0: It's yeah. Actually, it's
2: I see. Not to not to not to not to call call you on this, Frank, but you do actually do it on movies it, it, because I know for a fact that you and Steve Martin like threw out every page of Dirt Around Scoundrels as they came and kind of rewrote things on the fly, and we that, did. We did. That, and that is the same. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same thing of like of finding it the courage to find it in the moment and trust that maybe yeah. what was what was written isn't right for this live moment that we're experiencing right now.
1: Yeah, You just go, you, you just, for instance, I'm, I'm sorry to bring myself into this, I'll make this short. When I did the plant, you know, The Little Shop of Horrors, it was like, you know, huge budget. I have no idea how I was gonna do the plant. So we just went forward, you know? With Scandals, the ending was terrible. Steve and I <laughs> reworked the ending. Over m- months, and uh, but while we were shooting, so you just it's scary, but boy, is it exciting!
0: That sounds like a little bit. I mean, one thing I'm thinking of again is like if you have prepped for years that you, you mentioned earlier, the hours, the years of practice that go into knowing how to create the living Yoda or Fozzie or whoever it is, and then oh, and, the, and the, then it, the skills of sleight of hand, right. Right, exactly. That that all that practice, all that prep is what allows you to be natural, what allows you to let anything happen and, yeah. and survive. Yes. Yeah. So you're like these finely tuned athletes, like, because they've rehearsed everything a million times, but they're, they they could have no idea what's going to happen in the moment.
1: The right? way I look at it is that, and I, I believe this is for Derek too, but I don't want to speak for him, that all my years of working and doing hundreds and hundreds of shows... I now have a very big toolbox. I got screwdrivers. I got pliers. I got hammers. I got the right size nails. I know that toolbox is there, which means I can just wing it and know that I'm in trouble. I just reach for that hammer.
0: Yeah. Scary, though, for those of you out there who don't have the toolbox yet. Be careful about winging it. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's true.
2: That's true. true. Yeah. Well, that's but
0: because. Cause a lot of practice went into you having that, you know, having that ability to say, I can make, like, I mean, I love what you said about comedy and I'm sure it works with sight of hand too, is like things may change in the moment. And, and if you're not, if you're not free to experience or explore, I and mean, that's what improvisation is, but yeah, you have to be trained enough, right. To be right. ready for that.
1: Yeah. My, my dad used to say, he was a sign painter. He said, before any before you learn, he said, before any words were written, The teacher told him, draw a square and draw a circle. You know, just the basics. Yeah. Uh, You know, I got to say one thing about, if you don't mind, Derek, uh, we're talking a lot about this sleight of hand, but, you know, this is not the show. And as far as I'm concerned, Derek knows this. I've always seen this as a transition show for Derek. So Mm -hmm. the next show he does may not have any magic at all. His, his, yeah. his mind works in such a way that he creates something that's new without necessarily having to do that. But what the show is really strong in is not the magic or illusions. It's Derek's ideas.
0: Right. And I, I gather that or I've, I see it because you can do those things without like the humanity, the soul, the personal experience that's bringing to it that makes it unique, a unique experience. Unlike others, those things don't necessarily drive it sort of like a plot right. is to character. Right. Sure.
1: And this is a unusual show because actually this is Derek's life.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because Frank's teed it up, Derek, do you see or have you considered or started to see like what's next or where you evolve from here?
2: I think if if the show did anything for me, it's liberated me from any notion that I need to adhere to any specific, any particular form. Um, it's all the same. Ma- making things is the same. It's just a matter of of what medium you're working in, or what materials you're working with, or how you're presenting what you're presenting. Uh, but I, I'm I feel liberated. Uh, is all I can say is that I don't feel like I need to adhere to any particular. Form or style or anything really. I feel like I, I just let whatever is is bubbling up inside of me. I trust that and and move that direction.
0: I keep thinking about how I, I read about you know uh, Orson Welles making Citizen Kane and how he had this. Why don't we do this? Because he didn't know what couldn't be done yet, so he experimented essentially. So he had beginner's eyes and experience, and it allowed a freedom and it allowed and. Uh, breaking of things in an anarchy that became something that was a new mold, essentially, yeah. but but so and unique. He,
1: and he had youth, twenty-five years old.
0: Yeah, yes, very much so, and that and that allowed that, I think, a little yeah. bit. But you don't. How do you hold on to that? I mean, that it sounds like Derek, you're there, you're you feel liberated in that space now. And Frank, if it sounds like you've sought it out, you know, intentionally, especially on this project, but well, that is a challenging thing to stick to
1: i think one has to protect one's purity and i do with my characters they come from a pure place and derek's work comes from pure place i think we have to be very protective of that
2: i think that this the film the film how it manifested is also an example of that because it's it's uh the it was different in the sense that we created the show from nothing there were no it was just literally ideas on a page that were then had to be manifested into the real world somehow.
0: Can you, can you share with us some of those first ideas on that page from the very, from the very beginning?
1: They were the same. What's that? They were the same, Derek.
0: Yeah, they were. They we were the one,
1: only one thing we didn't use.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was
2: pretty much this, the show that you, I don't, I mean, assuming the, the listeners have seen it at this point, or are we just assuming they haven't?
0: Um, well we can just let us I mean, not give anything away I guess yeah <laughs> uh, uh, it doesn't matter
2: uh, like what you see in the film and what manifested on stage was what I pitched to Frank basically in his living room now what that how that looked like how that came about but the ideas were all there i I knew I was going to ask someone to to leave and come back the next day I knew that I was going to you know the there would be a moment with a letter and how I saw a person transforming in front of our eyes. And I, uh, these ideas about identity and this, the Rulatista, these were all on paper and told to Frank in his living room, but it was all just ideas. And so that's the easy part in a sense of like dreaming. It's hard to do, but comparatively to actually realizing those dreams is, is difficult. And so that was the first boulder up the hill. Uh, and then, with the film, we had the material in the sense that we knew, unlike the first time when we create the show, we knew what we had to work with. The question is, how do we translate it to this new medium? How do we get it to to work on film in a way that will be as effective, question mark, or have a different effect? Like, what, what can we say in this medium that we couldn't have said uh, in the live experience? And that was a big question and one that was kind of scary because... Frank knows film really well and I, I you know, I have been a fan of film and know how hard it is to make a, a live performance translate to film and it's not easy. Like I there's there's not a lot of great performance films, you know, out there. There's just there's a handful of that that rise above and the rest are all just kinda like, Yep, that must have been good to see live.
0: Can you tell me about like any hesitancy or was there a yeah, I don't want to do this kind of moment. I don't think we should do it. We should transfer it. And, or then also, like as a follow up, how did you change it to emphasize the other medium?
2: It was never like a certainty that it would be something that would work.
1: No, but this was Derek's idea to make a movie, and he never, he never uh, faltered. He
2: never
0: faltered on that. So it was always there in your mind that you, want, that you were going to try to move it into the, the movie, the film medium.
2: It was there when it was there. It wasn't there and then it was there. <laughs> In terms of I, I've never made it a, a habit of filming my work because the it's just pointless. I felt it just let the live stuff be the live stuff. And if you want to go make a movie, go make a movie. I feel that way about a lot of different things where I see people doing like dipping their toe into an area when it's like, just go, just do do the thing. If you want to do the thing, do the thing. But don't, you know, sacrificing another thing for that. So I felt that like I've always felt that way about my work that it should should remain its own thing. And then if I want to make a film, I'll make a film. But with this, I saw uh, something else. I saw there was a possibility that it could maybe maybe work. It could maybe be translated. And and once Frank saw the footage, he, or I think he agreed. You agreed, right, Frank? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a funny
0: time to find out he didn't. Yeah,
1: I agree. But like you, I we didn't know how to do it. And it's interesting. Derek and I are interesting in that, I think I'm not as good alone without Derek on these ideas that for him, and he's not as good without me. Somehow we feed each other because we're in the same plane and and we get it.
2: Yeah, we, we definitely feed off each other,
0: you know, taking it to film and having made tons of movies. This is the other, this isn't sort of like in the same line, but for you, Frank, like how do you forget all the ways you've made movies normally to say like, this is not going to be like that. Like I'm unlearning all my, ways of doing it. Like, I'm not going to think about the ways I do things when I approach every other movie I've done.
1: Uh, Or did you? Well, the movies I've done, except for a documentary, I've done a dozen features, and they're all scripted. Uh, Although, they're not finished. We continue changing the script as I shoot. This was not scripted. This was a workshop session that, you know, I I was, this is Derek's show, and I was trying to help Derek create his show into something transcendent, Along with him, and so you can't really compare the, the two. Yeah.
0: Right, it's the, you came at it, yeah, yeah. It was like a brand new thing, complete from from yeah. the ground up.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the thing uh, that, that it's important to unlearn a lot of stuff in order to get to the position where you don't know anything.
2: But it's also a hybrid in the sense that it's not scripted, in that you can't shoot, you can't shoot the script. But there was, there's like a. But the story's there, the script is there, so it's not—it's not documentary. Yeah. It's not documentary in the sense that you're right. capturing real life, because we do know the next line that's going to be said on stage by me, at least, you know. So there is a script in that regard, but there's not—there's not a. It's very difficult to—it's a hybrid. It's in between. It's real life in a theatrical context, uh, and so we had to let it tell us what it needed to be, really.
0: And if you could explain it right now, then you would have failed, right? <laughs> like, yeah, as you yeah. said earlier, yeah, yeah. this is this is this inability to explain precisely what it is you were trying to film is exactly by design. Yeah. I mean, it's an invigorating thing, I have to say. The approach and the fidelity to this ideal of what you were a- attempting to accomplish and the value of that, uh, the protecting of that perspective. It's inspiring in a time when I, again, I feel like a lot of things fall into a very familiar buckets, you know? Well, that's, mm-hmm.
2: um, that's good to hear. To answer your, the, I think answer your question about the the film or at least to wrap up that idea is that like we learned some things that we couldn't have predicted uh, or anticipated in the process of, of editing and, and making it in that, like for instance, we didn't know that my performance on stage would be as effective on film because generally speaking, if you film a show in a theater, the acting that you'll see on screen at home or whatever is, is theatrical. And when we, when we first started watching the footage of me, it wasn't theatrical at all. It was, it was pretty raw to the point of being like exposed and kind of like, Jesus, this is, this is very raw, you know? And that was, yeah. That was, uh, uh, in hindsight, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but again, the, the context of these things deceive you. Like, we, you think that it's going to look like a, another performance film because you're in a theater and there's stage lights and all that stuff, but then if you actually take the risk of doing it, of going down the road of, well, let's see, let's see what this looks like. Let's, let's try it. Why not? As opposed to just going, we can never do it because it, it's, it's never been done before. Or if I might
0: throw out there, like instead of also saying we have to change it so much because otherwise it'll never work because we know exactly how those things always turn out. So you let it happen and responded in the moment. I, I, I thought that too. There's a, you know, for me, my mental picture, whenever I think about, oh, it's a performance, it's a live performance that's been recorded or put to film. I always kind of think of those, like you know, the VHS recordings of performances that you used to come across because mm-hmm. it was like often all you could get or all that there was, which is completely out of step with what it would be today. But we do have these assumptions about medium or about the way something's going to turn out. So you all, you both, had to turn that off and try it. Right?
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll say something about that. What Derek was talking about. You remember, I said that Derek. What struck me most in the first show I saw him was his non-performative speaking. Yeah. From that moment on to now, six years later, it's that very thing that makes him really good on film too. Because what you want to do on film is not to do too much. And allow the audience not only in the theater to come to you, but the audience in a movie to come to you. And if you're Doing too much, they're just going to sit back and wait for you to give them stuff. But if you're going to be, if you want them to lean forward, the way Derek gives information in storytelling, that's what happens.
0: Uh, that's such a such a great point, and it and it makes me think. Did you, how does how did that manifest for you when you're doing a character to not do too much because you're trying to get. You know, there's, I can just, I can only imagine that there's a an, an tendency or an instinct that you have to do a lot to get something that maybe can't do the slightest twitch of an eye or the smallest, you know, how do you create, how did you get us to lean in when you do things like that? And, and, and that's something that's, that's magic to me. <laughs>
1: Same thing with Derek. It was years and years of uh, working to try and make it happen. It's just years and years and years and years of doing
2: it. No one wants to hear that answer, Frank. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no one wants, that's not the answer people it,
1: want. It, it's the truth. And then, and then once you have that toolbox, as I said, uh, making, repeating that, then you realize you don't have to do that much because if you really want to do more, you can just grab a hammer.
0: I mean, I, I'm also just tr- thinking about, you know, things like standing on the cliff, like you said, like now all, of, a lot of your projects make sense in that context, a dark crystal or performing Yoda. These were things that at the time would have seemed like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. Like, but, but isn't that, isn't that the joy? That is, yeah, that's the magic.
1: <laughs> that's the joy of it. Who wants, who wants to be safe?
0: When you described that quality in Derek this last time when you spoke about it, that he makes you lean in, it reminded me of, I've never really been able to accurately explain what it is about a Marlon Brando performance that I acknowledge is like, yeah, there is something good in a way that I can't identify. And as you were describing that, I thought, I think it's that I'm always wondering what he's going to do, kind of. Like, I'm not... Entirely confident. And I remember you've directed him. So yep. I'm wondering if that was an experience, you know, in that, rec- was that part of what he's doing on set? It, it, there's an unpredictability or just there's a nature to him? Is that part of what you mean when you're talking about when Derek's doing this show?
1: It's it's not quite the same. Marlon M- was unpredictable and extraordinary, but. It's not that Derek is unpredictable, right? He he, and he's not predictable either. <laughs> but, right. he's not, but he's but he what he what he is is he's absolutely being absolutely true to the moment, and yeah. that is what connects with people.
0: Yeah. And that's what, that's, I don't want to put you in a spot, Derek, where I'm telling you in the world, like, hey, this guy's like Marlon Brando. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, but, but there is, I, I'm recognizing that what it is, is that I'm really curious what's going to come next. Cause I'm not entirely confident that I know. <laughs> I can't quite see what's uh, in front of, what's going to happen. I in front think, of me. I
2: think, I think part of it is having the courage to not know yourself. Like me, like, uh, like the truth is we don't know. Even even in the context of a, of a stage performance where the same thing is said over and over again, the, the real truth is you don't know what's gonna happen next because and and I learned that through doing because I would maybe think I would know what's gonna happen. and then sure enough, someone in the audience has a stroke and we have to wait 15 <laughs> minutes. I'm not kidding. like this stuff happened. Like wait wow. 15 minutes for an ambulance to come in and then the stretcher, And then they load the guy up and take him off. And then I have to continue again. Now, I thought I knew what was coming next, but I didn't. And like life has a way of humbling you. And so I think if you I think if you can, even if you know what's coming next, if you can maintain some of that humility that you actually don't, even though you think you do, then then that uncertainty uncertainty is life, you know.
0: I, yeah, I think there's such a vast philosophical underpinning to what you're saying there, which is that we are surrounded by, we fool ourselves by thinking there's some daily stability or moment-to-moment stability that we absolutely know what's going to happen at each time of every day, in any schedule, and it's all so fragile and completely unpredictable and chaotic, and, right. or ordered by however you view the universe. But that spirit, maybe the honesty of that, Approach is what's resonant.
1: I I think it's because we don't think we're not thinking too much. In my opinion, if more writers and directors and actors cut off their heads when they work, they'd be in much better shape. Hm. I mean, really. I mean, when the brain gets involved, the work usually gets worse.
0: Yes, and I'm 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 definitely we're definitely going in a cerebral direction as we discuss it. But I'll go back to my metaphor with an athlete, which is that they're so trained that they can stop thinking when they do. That's right. Which I I, I, again, assume some of both of your training, your, the hours and hours of training allows you to just like, Oh, Yoda's just living in the moment now because I know all the things. Like I don't have to worry about the rehearsal. You know, I'm living in the moment reacting.
2: You're right. And, but one of the things that's really, and Frank talked about going the distance. He, He recognized that I could maybe go the distance. I didn't know what that meant until I did it. He told me that, and I still didn't know what it meant until after. Because, like, at some point during the run, I, I think I asked him, like, "Why did you agree to do this?" You know, and he, he said, "I recognized that you wanted to break something, and I wanted to help you do it." And I thought you, <laughs> and I thought you go the distance. And the first time he even told me that, I didn't really understand it because I hadn't done it really i maybe thought i was like yeah i can go the distance i've seen rocky i know you gotta train i
0: I mean my assumption is just like you'd show up every day until you were done i really have to thank you both for taking so much time to do this it's been incredible sure but I, i and i will wrap up soon i promise i just i'm now i'm really fascinated can you each tell me what go the distance means to you and meant in the context maybe derek you can tell me what it meant the first time was the rocky thing what did it mean in the end? I mean,
2: it's it's the the irony is that you go you 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 got to go the distance to to end up right where you are, just like any good story, right? You end up where you're back at the beginning. But like it, it's it's depth, really. I was thinking about and I knew it was obviously an analogy, but man, we all have something we all have our inner lives and that we're. We're walking around with these worlds inside of us. And every once in a while, we're able to pick something up outside of ourselves to show others something that we recognize as a fundamental truth within ourselves that also exists within someone else. And sometimes that can just be something simple and, uh, you know, a, like a, a joke that makes someone laugh and we all have a shared experience. But other times it's more complex and and the, the ideas are more nuanced, or it's an avenue of, of humanity or something that we haven't really explored yet. And I I didn't realize what it takes to actually mine that and to actually dig out a piece of yourself to show the world so that they can see themselves. And Frank has done that over the years through so many different parts of himself that he he understands what it takes to do the distance. Part of that is discipline. Part of that is just necessity of he has a job and has to show up and do a good job and wants to do a good job, but he's he's both the right person in the right place at the right time to have gone the distance in several different ways. So he knows what that means. And I I had done it personally for myself uh, in terms of my craft, in terms of being a student of uh, uh, really wanting to be the best at something. and. And, and working hard to, to achieve the, the things that are physically necessary um, to do that. But I didn't know what it meant in terms of uh, the context of otherness and what it meant to go the distance when it when it comes to to now what? Now, now that you have these things that you, you picked up, how are you gonna show people? And sometimes the, 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 the distance you need to travel or the depth you need to go to mine, whatever it is you're trying to show them, is really difficult and you can do it at a surface level, which is fine, or you can really dig deep and you can try to find something that no one has ever seen before and, and come back. But that's a really tough, it's like going to Mordor, you know, you gotta, you gotta make the journey. And, and so for me, that's, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what it
0: felt like.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a spelunking answer. <laughs> you know spelunking?
0: Yes. No, I do. Yes.
1: <laughs> or is, is exploring uh, caves and such? Yes. So you go in the, you go in there and holy cow, this is gorgeous. Look at all the stalagmites. Stal- My God. And there's a light coming from the from a hole in there and I can see the sun. That's fantastic. Now, you could settle with that. And all of a sudden, wait a second, there's this other place, this hole over there. Well, maybe there's something over there. Let's go to that hole. And that is narrower and a little more difficult to get through. And then you go a little bit further and say, oh, geez, look at that. I've never seen this act like like, like that. That That's an unusual one. And then you found something new. And then all of a sudden you say, wait a second, there's another hole. There's another hole there. And you keep going and you keep going and you start squeezing and you start struggling and you're out of breath. And then you get to the very, very end and there's nothing left. And there's extraordinary diamond there. That's that's going the distance to me.
2: There's a scene in the movie Gattaca, or no Gattaca? Is that Gattaca with uh, Ethan Hawke and yeah, and Uma Thurman and and Jude Law? There's a there's a wonderful scene in that movie where they're swimming and and Ethan Hawke is po- uh, posing as a perfect being, uh, and he has to like pretend he's better than he is and. And uh, they have to swim out past a certain point. And he does it with someone who's not as in good a shape as him. And he asks, he asks him, "How are you doing this? Like he shouldn't be able to swim like this. How are you doing this?" And he says, "I didn't save anything for the trip back." And mm-hmm. and, and that right. and that really is it. Is not not saving anything, not holding anything back every single time, every single moment. And that's really really hard to do. And,
1: and that. Is why Derek was exhausted all the time because that's that's what it took every day. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Wow, I don't have words. Great answers and beautiful metaphors, also. But you're both storytellers, so that follows. But I just uh, I'll finish though, Frank. How did you know that he could go the distance? Was there any? Was it a hopeful guess, or was did you really feel like he because he didn't even understand at the time you said it what you truly meant?
1: I know this sounds like. Uh, an easy answer, but how do you know that that woman is going to be your wife? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is I believed it. I felt it.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe the, that's part of the manifesting of it in the world. I don't know, but that's a good, it's who knows. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I just, I can't thank I you I both want to enough. to make something
1: clear here. I was married. I didn't need a wife, just so you know that. <laughs>
0: Derek, so Derek's not, he's not on the hook for that. Imagine my disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you so
2: much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. You know, one of the funny things about this particular interview was As I said goodbye to Frank and Derek and clicked off the recorder, I walked into the other room and my kids were watching The Muppets. And it just struck me that Frank's impact is so massive that his creations alone, his work, stretches beyond into so many places. And the spirit of what Derek does and his performance The humanity in it, the attempt to connect with us as individuals on a deeper level or a meaningful level, it comes from such a pure place in the same way that I think that a lot of Frank's work does. And it just hit me particularly hard that there are reasons to create art or film or do whatever it is you do beyond success, beyond accolades that we don't talk about enough Do we create these things to change the way people feel about themselves or see one another? Do we try to have a positive impact in some way? I think it gets lost. Even when we talk about we want to tell good stories, But that feels almost like it's not a real thing. We want to connect. We want to bring each other up. We want to make each other see ourselves in the world in new ways. And these two guys do that. And I hope all of you do one day as well.